I had only one year to spend at Luther Seminary, but I knew that I needed to take a class from Terence Fretheim. I had already done most of my seminary coursework already by this time at another, at another school, and I had a fairly specific set of classes that I was required to take during this year, focused on Lutheran theology and church life. So there wasn't a whole lot of wiggle room in my schedule. But I knew about Dr. Fretheim's work already. His books on Old Testament theology had been an inspiration to me. I'd heard him preach several times. Other students raved about his classes. So another Old Testament course really didn't fit in the picture or my schedule that year, but I wasn't going to miss out. So I signed up to audit his class on the prophets. It met in a big lecture hall on Wednesday evenings from 6 to 9 p.m. And you might think that listening to three-hour lectures on Ezekiel at that time of day could be a little dull, but not when Dr. Fretheim was the one speaking. He sat on a stool at the front of the room with his notes beside him, and he spoke to us as one still enchanted with the Bible, still startled by its images, still troubled by its violence, still enamored with its beauty. That's no small feat for somebody who's been teaching it for almost 40 years, but that's just who he was. I remember him lecturing on the book of Jeremiah as literature of collective trauma, speaking of just how invested both the prophet and God were in the sorrow and upheaval all around them. And I was just blown away by how fascinating and alive the scriptures could be in his hands. He didn't just talk about the Bible. He embodied a lifetime of faithful engagement and struggle with it. I remember walking home along the dark streets of the seminary neighborhood after his classes that winter and feeling so alert and alive. It was like the stars in the sky seemed brighter somehow. When he died last month, it was like a great tree falling. You could feel the reverberations in the ground. My Facebook feed was just flooded with people expressing gratitude and sharing memories and tributes. Former students and colleagues, people in all kinds of places who'd been inspired by his writing and speaking over the years. There are many of us out there who sense the impact of his life on ours. We are back in the book of Isaiah today. And in case you're keeping track, we are probably hearing from yet another prophet in this single book. Last week, it was the unnamed prophet we refer to as Second Isaiah, speaking words of comfort to the exiles in Babylon. This week, it's Third Isaiah, yet another prophet whose name we don't know, speaking in yet a different time and context. This time, after the exiles have returned home to Jerusalem and now face the daunting prospect of rebuilding their city, and their temple, and their lives. There is abundant grief and sorrow to be found in this time and place, and you can see that in the reading that we have today. God has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, the prophet says, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, 
the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. His people are brokenhearted, mourning, faint-spirited, and the prophet speaks up with this courageous message of hope. There's lots of beautiful language here, and it's language that centuries later Jesus will draw on in his uh, speech at his synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. But one image particularly jumped out at me this week. From those who have been freed and comforted and cheered, God means to make something new. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display God's glory. Oaks of righteousness. I love that image. And this week it made me think of my old teacher. I'm no expert on trees, but I hear that word and I think of something strong and unshakable. A towering tree with roots that go deep into the soil. One that's going to be able to weather seasons and storms, the passing of years and the changes that may come. Oaks of righteousness. Those sound like trees that you'd like to have around. So taking a cue from Dr. Fretheim, I did a little bit of research on the Hebrew word there on oak trees in the Old Testament. And sure enough, they do show up in a variety of contexts. Abraham was sitting under a grove of oak trees when three strangers approached him at his tent in the desert. David's son Absalom got his long, beautiful hair caught in an oak tree while he was riding his mule through the forest. Oak trees frequently show up as boundary markers as visible and known landmarks that could sort of help orient you in that landscape. And in our reading today, like in many other places, oak trees occur in poetic and prophetic texts as images of strength and stability. So when Isaiah says that God means to make these dejected, discouraged people into oaks of righteousness, he means that God has much more in mind than just some gentle words of encouragement. He means that God will root them so deeply in divine love and in obedience to God's ways of justice and mercy that they will be sturdy, steadfast, able both to soak up the rays of summer sunshine and to endure the cold and desolation of winter. They will be the planting of the Lord to display God's own glory. I love that image and it feels right for my teacher Maybe you can think of someone who has been that for you. Someone so deeply rooted and grounded in grace. Someone who serves as a landmark in the journey of your life. I can think of others too, these sturdy, steadfast people who loom high on the horizon for me. And I'm grateful for each of them. I think there's more to being an oak of righteousness than just being a strong individual tree, however. Scientists are offering new and complex ways to look at forests today, and I think they might have something to offer to this biblical image. I was taught to have a tree and it's out there to find its own way, says Suzanne Samard, a professor of forestry in Canada. That's not how a forest works, though. Dr. Samard is one of the scientists who is helping to complicate and open up our view of forests right now. She began her TED talk a few years ago on forests this way. Imagine you're walking through the forest. I'm guessing you're thinking of a collection of trees, 
with their rugged stems and their beautiful crowns. And yes, trees are the foundation of forests, but a forest is much more than what you see. And today I want to change the way you think about forests. You see, underground there's this other world, a world of infinite biological pathways that connect trees and allow them to communicate and allow the forest to behave as though it's a single organism. Her research on forests over decades has largely been focused on what's going on underground, beneath the floor, on these pathways that link trees to one another. We look at a forest and we see a whole bunch of individual trees, but the reality is actually much more interesting than that. Turns out the roots of these trees are bound up with thread-like fungi that serve as connectors, sending nutrients and water and even alarm signals among individual plants. It's the wood wide web, as somebody has called it. Her research has shown that the forest isn't simply a bunch of individuals competing for space and resources. In addition to competition, there's all this sharing and mutuality, even across different species. If a tree is on the brink of death, it sometimes passes on a sizable portion of its carbon to its neighbors. Isn't that amazing? It really can change the way you look at a forest, aware that you're entering this complicated and reciprocal society where there's give and take and action for the well-being of others and even some sort of concern for the common good. It's incredibly interesting, and it makes me think about those oaks of righteousness a little differently. So sure, to be an oak is to be rooted and stable and steadfast. And maybe it is also to be deeply connected to others, to be bound in webs of mutuality and sharing and concern. I'm pretty sure Dr. Fretheim would like this way of looking at an oak tree because it just so happens that relationality was one of his very favorite topics. Using the Bible's own language, he always spoke about God as fundamentally relational, not as this distant monolith out there, but as a parent, a friend, a lover, one committed to being in genuine relationship with the world and its people. Here's how he put it in one of the very last things that he published. Interrelatedness is a basic characteristic not only of the relationship between God and people and between God and the world, but also of the very nature of the created order. To put that another way, you don't end up an oak of righteousness all by yourself. We need one another. It seems an especially important reminder in this Advent, when we can feel like lone trees, each off in our own private field. But the forest is much more than what you see. And below ground, there are those threads connecting us still. Prayers offered, laughter shared, Phone calls made, hopes lifted up, songs sung in love. Let's not forget in this long scattering that we are still finding our way through, that this is what it means to be God's planting, being bound to God and to others, offering abundance when you have it, asking for a listening ear when you need it. We have a picture of that interrelatedness on our altar this season. 
we began two weeks ago with just a scattered spread of candles. But little by little, thread by thread, they are each finding their connection to the center and to one another. We keep weaving the points together on the altar, remembering the ways we are woven into God's life and into one another's. Friends, don't forget this Advent. We are bound together. We need one another. And this is how we grow. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>